Hello and welcome back to the Free Me World podcast. I'm your host Leanne and this is episode 23. Well hello friends, I'm super excited because today as you'll see from the title I sit down with my friends Tracy and Grace as we talk women in creative industry. This is going to be good so grab your coffee if you're driving, turn the volume up, drive safe and have the best day. And first let's get into a a little message from Frame Your World. Frame Your World is an online handmade gift business offering prints, stationery, homeware, clothing range and so much more. If you would like to check out any of our products why not head over to www.frameyourworld.co.uk or find us on Etsy and Facebook slash Instagram shopping. Our mission is to spark joy and inspire your world so we hope that you feel inspired today. thought we'd kick off if you girls want to share a little bit about who you are your passion and what part of the industry that you find yourself in perfect yeah thanks for having us I'm really excited to be here and we're doing that very polite women supporting women who speaks first visually with our eyes right now Grace do you want to go first (laughs) sure uh hi I'm Grace O'Donnell um and I'm from Ireland originally uh and I'm currently in Portugal but I uh Oxford's my uh, heart hometown. So yeah, a bit of a mongrel. And I mainly am working in online book publishing. Uh, I do a lot of interviews and kind of advertising and marketing for those and project management and also filmmaking. I do kind of everything. Like I'm a one woman stop from, you know, shooting to editing to writing. And yeah, just love it. Feel very, very lucky. Um, Yeah. And I'm Tracy Rymel. Um, I also work in publishing, but in communications, and that's my main job. But also on the side, I'm an actor, writer, and singer and musician. Um, and funnily enough, met Grace on a film set. Um, oh, yeah! <laughs> seven years ago now, and we just wow. have firm friends, and yeah. And she's an amazing videographer, by the way, absolutely amazing. Oh, but yeah, I'm still quite active on the theatre circuit in, Octave, uh, in Oxford prior to covid so right now we're very very quiet as you can imagine oh i want to ask which film set did you guys meet on let nothing you dismay yeah we just yeah we just clicked instantly and actually it's funny because we've worked on a lot of projects since and we kind of have helped each other creatively a lot i was just thinking about that before this podcast like how much like like I use Tracy as a sounding board for ideas and I hope she feels the same way and you know networking yeah so it's really special yeah I think that's a really great thing about being in the creative industry isn't it is you you never know who you're going to meet um and you so like you know Grace and I we just became immediately you know personal friends as well as professional contacts and Leanne the same so Leanne I met you at my publishing day job and then we really hit it off and you just kind of join all these dots and it's so great to see people supporting each other like that it's just it warms my heart (laughs) I have to agree it's been so special to be able to uh, connect with you ladies and we've had some catch-ups and it's just been so nice to just have um, that creative connection as well it's so valuable Uh, I have to say I'm really grateful for it and of course excited about 
been able to share that part of that conversation today with our audience and been able to help them see um, come and sit down with the coffee and or the juice, whatever you're drinking. Sparkling <laughs> uh, water. Um, I thought I would start off today if for anyone who's not really familiar or kind of questioning about what that creative industries looks like. I think even the word creative can be very um, open to interpretation. Um, I think a lot of people, certainly in my own sphere and world, will automatically go to art and um, writing or creative subjects and music, for example. I sometimes personally think it's a lot wider than that, but um, what do we what do we mean when we're talking about creative industries? I wonder if I get your thoughts on that. It's a really good question, actually. I was thinking about it earlier when I was kind of mentally preparing myself for the podcast. And I think it's the word industries is the interesting, you know, is the interesting term there because you could be in a really, really creative job in an industry that would not traditionally be thought of as a creative industry. And, and I think to me, it's actually about that cognitive process. It's about, are you doing something by repetition? Are you doing something by rote, by instruction? Or are you thinking creatively? Are you problem solving? Are you coming up with solutions? And that can apply to so many industries. I mean, I've got a friend who's a mathematician. I think that's actually a really creative thought process, just thinking in these completely different ways. And you can apply it to so many things. So yeah, I think for me, the actual, the job of being creative is a different thing to how we generally use the term industry, which is a bit more of that stereotypical, like you said, humanities, arts-based, performance-based kind of company. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I love that answer. I think that's such an interesting perspective on it. Um, yeah, for me, uh, I don't know. It's interesting because I think creativity is the closest thing we have to kind of being human. Uh, and, you know, that's why we love art so much. I think, you know, telling new stories is so important to see ourselves and because that's how we make chaos out of the amount of information we have. But then like Tracy was saying, adding that to industry, which is so juxtaposed and the creative industries is probably, we're realizing one of the least humane industries, you know, you look at the Me Too movement and so on. And so it's kind of interesting, that crazy juxtaposition between the two, like you have to make yourself so vulnerable to make really good art in an industry that is trying to eat you alive sometimes, it feels like. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I like to think anyone, you know, if you call yourself creative, then you are like, I'm, I think artists own their art at this point. You know, you, even if you go back to, um, what's his name? Lafont no, the toilet, La Fontaine and how he decided this was art. It was a piece of ready-made art because he chose it. And that's, you know, the artist, is deciding what art is. And I like to trust people. Yeah, if you think you're an artist, then great. Call yourself an artist. Go out and make some money. Yeah. I love the, I was trying to, I should have had the definition prepared. I, I just thought about it there. But I'm sure it's something like, when you look up the definition of creative, it says basically to create something that did not exist, but now exists. It's like, it could be anything. Like you said, Tracy, I'm a, a calculation and mathematician you know, uh, from a song to a book. So I, I have something, even though that we are coming from creative spheres, particularly writing, theatre, film. I just love also adding that caveat in and adding that kind of 
and knocking down those walls sometimes, I think, to what we as the world sometimes perceive creative. I think that's really true. And it's not only true of creative, it's, it's true of everything that you are and everything that you do. We, you, you know, you learn by osmosis and you kind of, excuse, excuse the pun, Liam, but frame your world. Um, nice little plug there, that wasn't made. Um, by, by what you witness around you. So if, if you kind of perceive something to be a, a normal route, a normal thing to do, the path you should follow, you don't question it even, you just kind of do it. You just go, well, you know, this is what my parents did, or this is the normal route, you follow this particular process. And sometimes being creative is simply about thinking completely differently. Yep. So it could be creating a thing, it could be creating a solution, it could also be creating your own life, creating who you want to be. You can literally do anything with it, really, if you free up your thinking. Yeah, and I think that's so important, like uh, creating your own life. Like, I love that uh, because uh, this is kind of maybe, I love history, this is kind of a random example, but uh, one of the many strategic or and operational decisions that the Britons British made that helped them win World War II was, well, what's in really interesting is that the Germans created a standardized plane. So for a standard human, a perfectly standard human, and the British, they created a, a plane where you could adjust your seat, you could adjust where your controls were. And actually, it made the difference of seconds because what they found out after the war is there is no standard human. They checked all the people who, who flew it and no one person fit every single standard dimension. And so just having that ability to adjust things made all the difference to your reaction time, your speed. And I think, I mean, I know that's kind of a random non-creative example, but I just think that's so important to be able to, um, you know, no one's standard. Even, even if we live in a world that was designed and built for the standard male in terms of, you know, safety bags used to kill women in up until the 90s, I think it was in cars because it wasn't designed for their bodies. But actually, even the standard male doesn't exist. It's a fantasy. So yeah just I think that's a really important point design your life I wonder how much of that as well comes from the fact that we live in this very digital data driven age where we have a need to quantify things mm -hmm. because that's how we absorb the information or that's how we collate the information um, and I was thinking about it so I took part in a, a diversity and inclusion survey earlier which the Publishers Association is running at the moment um, and I kind of went through the process of filling all the boxes and I thought how ironic is is this whole process that we, to be truly inclusive you can't put people in a box and I'm here filling out a survey by taking all the preset boxes it's such an ironic kind of way of approaching life isn't it is that we're, we're trying to crowbar something very altruistic and conceptual into uh -huh. data which is just really interesting to me it's crazy it's crazy <laughs> Mm -hmm. And that's such a good point. Like you look at, you know, the algorithm that was, we don't want all these AIs keep um, for the A levels that keep getting pushed on us. And it, life is so complex and trying to, you know, machines are so still so stupid compared to the average toddler. They cannot learn as fast. Well, they learn they move fast, but they don't uh, join together dots. They have no room for the complexities and multitudes. And I, yeah, that's a really good point that like, it's just not binary and it's just, yeah, we need to stop reducing things to a label and bring back in nuance. I think it's really interesting as well. I don't know where I heard this, but 
there's no human on earth that has the same fingerprint. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's as unique as a snowflake. I just think it's so like, there for us to see. There's so many pressures, certainly on women, I feel, or just on general, on people. But I'm noticing it like with how, how to look, how to perform, how to create that career that is being glamorised. But yeah, they, here we are talking about how unique we are. And, and like you said, I've actually, and Tracy, I've sat in a diversity and inclusion training session a few weeks ago, a few months ago back now. And they opened up with a icebreaker, which asked you to write down every, a name or a word associated with this particular word. And you saw everyone's results were so different. Very few people had the same results. And so I thought, um, again, that just blows open that kind of realisation that we are so unique, we process things so different to others. And that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it can add, we add to each other. So we've talked a little bit about um, what what you do. I thought it would be good to maybe talk a little bit about our passion and experience and our creative journey so far and any particular uh, challenges you've faced or any particular um, lessons you've learned that you can perhaps pass on to your younger sure. self shall we say well, shall we say our younger self I like that yeah um, well one of the things I found really useful was sharing information about salary I know that's really um, kind of a difficult taboo subject but when I was um, kind of one of my first uh, early kind of jobs, which was in the corporate world, I was really lucky that someone I was friends with was privy to pay information and told me, hey, your agency is taking half your salary. And then I was able to negotiate a deal with my organization that massively reduced that. And we were both happy, you know, I got a bump, they got to pay less for me. Sorry, I was going through an agency at the time. So, um, yeah, I wasn't actually an employee. And I think that was someone who was older than me, you know, a fellow woman who was advocating for me before I would really have realized that. And I think if anyone is kind of starting out their career, that's actually a huge issue with women is not negotiating for salary. And it actually sets you back the whole way throughout. And it's even because you start off with a lower salary, by the time you get to 30s, you still haven't quite made up that distance. And then they're like, you and your partner are like, oh, we're having kids. Oh, well, you make less, so you should stay at home. And then it's just this kind of exponential tax on women. And, and men, too, who want to stay at home with their kids, you know? Uh, so I think that was something that was really, really helpful for me. And I would say um, advocating for each other in meetings. Like if someone, another woman has a good idea and you notice, like, they're not getting spoken for. And this is something Tracy's amazing at. And Tracy is so good at networking as well. And networking gets a bad rap um, because, you know, it seems sleazy, but it's not at all. Like the way to do it well is like, Tracy is such a warm, like kind person. People just want to be her friend. Mm -hmm. And and that's a great way, actually. <laughs> no, but actually building real relationships, that's networking. Like being open and authentic and transparent, that's how you build real relationships. Um, and that's what's going to really help you in your career. And women do need extra help because the system is kind of rigged against us. And I don't mean that in a victim-y way because, uh, or anything. It's just a reality. And I just think you have to be prepared for that knowing that going into the work world you know i have a lot of friends who are still paid less than their male colleagues who are not as 
um, you know, experiences them. It's really interesting that you brought this up, actually, the, the, particularly the bit around relationship building, because I think that would have been my contribution to this. I think, you know, on my journey so far, um, imposter syndrome has played a huge part in so yeah. much of my journey. And, and I've had a kind of career that's hopped across different creative industries as well. Um, I mean, particularly in the theatre world, obviously you literally, you put yourself forward to be judged, to be scrutinised, to be watched, to, you know, to evoke a reaction in people. And, you know, you, it's so easy to, to just kind of going, go into something with the mindset of, well, I probably won't get it. Well, I'm probably not good enough, but I'll just give it a try. And we give ourselves this really negative self-talk all the time. And it, it does largely come back as well to what you were saying, Leanne, about, you know, you, uh, particularly for women, but that's a bit of a gender stereotype because it definitely affects men too. But, you know, you are told or you're shown by osmosis every day, this is what you should look like. This is how you should be a leader and if you don't adhere to these qualities then actually you're letting feminism down you're letting other women down you know if you don't you know have a big voice if you don't lead if you don't juggle all these uh, you know we talk about achievement all the time and, and we always apply it to certain business accolades and I know one thing I've struggled with in my own career or I'm still wrangling with in my career is I absolutely am ambitious and I want to progress but for me that does not mean climbing a management hierarchy that doesn't suit my personality at all. So I think it's just one framing the way you see things that's right for you and not just absorbing like a, some sort of structure or culture that is on, you're bombarded with. And the other is just remembering that all the other people doing this, the managers, the workers, the successful people, the not, we're all just human beings, male, female, we're just people, all of us are people. And if you network with people like people, you know, you know, you, you talk, you know, we talk a lot um, in the publishing industry and the corporate world about stakeholders and levels of seniority. And that can be so terribly intimidating. You're like, do you know what? That is a person. I'm just going to talk to them like they're another human being. And as long as I'm respectful, it will probably be fine. <laughs> so I think, yeah, just taking that fear out of what success should look like and what status should look like and how things should be done. And just think like a, you know, like a kind person, am I being kind? Am I being respectful? Am I being authentic? It will make all the difference in the world, regardless of your background, your qualifications, your accolades. It all just kind of disappears behind personality. I mean, how many people have either been interviewed or been on the interviewing panel? And you can look at all the qualifications in the world, but it doesn't mean anything unless the person clicks with you. And that's what counts at the end of the day is that human element, so. Yeah, just get real, I think, <laughs> would be my advice to myself, just get real. I think those are really important to decide what, what stance we're going to take, because if we don't fill the narrative of understanding our perspective, what we define as success, you know, the, the journey that's right for us, outside forces, whether it be in a corporate structure or elsewhere, we'll try and define that for us, but there might be a manager or a senior manager over there also dealing with that, but they just have a different responsibility perhaps or a different title um, so I hope that makes sense I, I just really loved what you both said and I think it's important to really define for ourselves what success is and what it looks like for us personally before other people and other sources unconsciously or consciously 
try to define that for us. And I think the other thing about it is we tend to look at these these big, huge steps, these big achievements. Um, it could be life achievement, it could be a professional achievement. And even in terms of society, like the big political movements that make change, and it's so important, but actually so are all the tiny, tiny little steps, because that's how you get to your destination. It's those little everyday steps, everyday decisions, everyday interactions that actually is 90% of your journey. <laughs> so don't underestimate just how important the little stuff is, you know? I love that. I think it's so important for us to just um, appreciate the little things and the steps that it takes to get to a particular destination or, you know, to make up a specific outcome. And also to be okay with sitting with who we are and deciding what our values are, to be able to be more aware of what our passions are so that we don't end up chasing the wrong thing. And bear in mind, the wrong thing for us ourselves could be the right thing for someone else. But it's like until you sit down with yourself and allow yourself that that space and time in your journey to focus on becoming more self-aware and defining your passions and your why, then it's rocky ground shall we say because i don't think you can ever be truly happy trying to walk in someone else's shoes because it's equally important to remember that we are enough and that's something that i've not always felt and continue to work through but i think it's important for us to start there and build from there you know if we can appreciate that we're enough and then we can sit to define what is important to us our values our passions our why then we can only go from strength to strength right I think that's a great advice to just sit with yourself and decide your values. I think that's something I'm only starting to really understand the importance of in my 30s too. Um, and again, it's kind of a conversation. Maybe I could have had it sooner. I don't really mind. I'm just glad I'm doing it. You know, maybe I could have done it in 10 years time. But I think that is really, really important. Um, like a lot of things going to change around you, you know, we are the generation that flips from career to career. It sounds like, um, I think myself and Tracy both know we've, I started in a film organization, uh, which is in the charity. Then I went doing communications for a nationwide membership organization that was quasi governmental. Then I went into business for myself doing various filmmaking jobs. Now I'm working with the press, um, or a publishing house and I'm kind of doing interviews, which I love, and also still doing the filmmaking. So, you know, it's changing. Um, I guess one of the things I try and do is I try and do stuff that scares me, like you're saying. I picked, I'm constantly saying, yes, that terrifies me. Okay, I'm gonna do that. And like Tracy's saying, I try and do it every day. And that's something I've learned because that's the kind of way to, yeah, um, keep myself in, excited, I suppose, and keep myself, I, I really struggle with imposter syndrome too. And so I just try things even if I don't think I'm able or capable. And I just, and yeah, that's probably a piece of advice I would give to my younger self. Um, yeah, just don't be afraid to try new things. Um, so long as you, you're only losing if you're not sticking with it, I think. What do you think it looks like to have an inclusive working day for women in the creative industries? I read a report by Skillset who created a report specific to women in the creative industries and they said that 51% of women tend to work freelance and around middle age women are expected to leave the creative industries for the unpredictable hours that 
freelance offers uh, the gender pay gap came into that because of course if you're starting a family then childcare and costs and stability matters what do you guys think on this important topic such an interesting question actually and I really thought about this you know and I thought I'm not sure there is one answer to that but it's I mean what you touched on particularly around the volatility of pay is so hugely true in the theatre industry it, you know you see so like people often will go through drama school in their perhaps sometimes late teens often early 20s it's quite a rigorous process you know it can be hugely rewarding but it can be very very hard as well and then you get an industry that is flooded and very 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 competitive in your sort of mid-20s um and then you kind of see it start dropping off and then by the time you hit your mid to late 30s it, it just almost kind of bottoms out one there are very few roles for people of those ages and and two a lot of women do leave the industry because of you know, one the pay being so volatile and that's really challenging but also to the commitment particularly in um theater which is very much is a little different to, to film and tv the rehearsal progress the hours you've got to be there it's not like going to an office you know nine to five and this is when i'm done you might be there till 11 12 o'clock at night you might be in from like five six in the morning you might be away from home traveling for weeks months on end and it's very 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 challenging to keep that up if you are trying to have a family or if you have a young family or even sometimes just having a, a partner you know who's not in that industry it's such a huge stress um i particularly found when i was doing it full-time um so prior to working in communications i, I was a touring actor full-time for a few years and it was actually one of the reasons i stopped working in the industry full-time because you know i just felt i'm a very home oriented community oriented family oriented person and you know my life was lived out of a suitcase often with people i didn't know very well or you, you'd form these really amazing bonds for a short amount of time and then people would disappear off and then you know you kind of wouldn't see them again and the pay was oh it was challenging so there was one that the level of pay was very challenging um, and to the the um there's not it's not really regulated like other industries are so quite frequently you just wouldn't get paid or you get paid late, or you might get paid months and months and months late, but in the meantime, you were still paying out for digs, paying out for touring expenses. Um, and so financially, it was really, really, really challenging. And at the time, I was a young woman with no children, so um, I can't even imagine how that would be for, for a mother. You know, I, there is basically very little protection in that industry for, for you know, mothers and or parents generally, actually, I should say, it's a bit of a stereotype, but I think, particularly in the theatre industry tied to regulation, there's, there's very much a sort of, there is a union, um, for those of you who don't know, called Equity, who, who look after kind of theatre, but it, it can only really do so much if the company is signed up to Equity. If you're not on an Equity contract, you're not really particularly protected. Um, and yeah, I felt very exposed and very vulnerable um, financially, emotionally, professionally in that industry. Um, and as a consequence, I actually left it full time and now only do it part time, which I don't regret the decision, but it is sad. It's sad mm -hmm. to me. That was my dream career that I trained for and ended up sort of moving off in a different direction. So, yeah, yeah definitely fairness. Fairness is a big, big contender there. So putting in those restrict, uh, those, that those support networks and benefits would really have changed the decision for you, because I guess it would have allowed you to continue working if there was a bit more structure in how they pay is that and how they 
look after the the actors? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, it's not so much, and certainly don't want to tar the entire industry, absolutely not. But what I found is it's very, very um, ad hoc company to company. You'd work for one company and have just the best experience in the world, and they're brilliant and creative and encouraging and empowering, and you'd get paid, or, or at the very least, you'd know exactly what you were signing up to. And other companies held like this, I want to say almost old school, quite sexist, um, you know, way of working that had lagged over from decades back where you were treated as one, a sexual object. If you're a woman, you look a certain way. You know, I don't know how many times I would go through a process where I wasn't even in an acting role. I was perhaps in a accruing role and there would be some comment made about my body by, you know, the director or whoever was in charge. And you just think that's just not all right in this state, you know, and I do think that even since I've left the industry um, to, to some degree, that is a light has been shone on that with Me Too and things like that. And so many things have come out in the media and um, particularly around the film and TV industry, obviously that it's shone a real spotlight on the fact that this was still going on. But, you know, it isn't an exaggeration. It really, really has been rife in that industry. Um, and it's very, very challenging coming into a, a, that kind of role where it's so competitive that you are literally expendable. And there are times that, you know, you, you go through and you feel like cattle, you know, and you're told, you know, you don't comply. There's somebody else waiting for that role. You're out the door and that's just how it is. And I think it's also why a lot of actors will start from the industry, they'll work for free because they need the exposure, they need that role, they need to create them, so they'll do it for free. And it just generates this, this whole devaluing of, of, you know, actors, you know, particularly female actors, but, you know, actors across the board who are not famous, who are maybe at the beginning of their career or simply, you know, haven't made a huge name for themselves because we don't all want to do that. Sometimes you just love the craft. Yeah, yeah. I can't speak to the theatre industry, but one thing that I think um, one maybe slightly bright spot that has come out of COVID is we've seen that remote working can work. And I think that's huge for uh, women who still do more of the housework, still do more of the unpaid caring work. Because if you're able to be at home with your child and you don't have to pay a, a carer, I mean, obviously it's going to be difficult managing both, but I do think it offers that flexibility. And I think that's just... Um, something that we're really hopefully going to see more of. I've been working remotely for five years now, so I can definitely speak to the fact that I probably work too much. I work an insane amount of hours, but I have total control over it. If I wanted to have a child, I know that that actually would be possible for me. And my partner is also remote, so I know for a fact that he would be able to stay at home and mind our child too, and that it wouldn't be all on me. So I think that's a huge, hopefully positive um, a step forward that we might be taking soon. I also think culturally we just need to change where like, uh, where, you know, it. I feel like it's probably a broken drum, beating a broken drum and everyone's probably sick of it, but just, you know, it's okay for men to stay at home. My dad was actually the stay at home dad and my mom was the career driven woman in my family. And that worked out so well for us. And it wasn't even something uh, that I ever even thought to question. And I think that's part of the reason why I was able to 
be so career driven is, you know, my mom, you know, she just went out and did it. And my dad, he was kind of the more naturally gravitated towards taking care of us when we were sick and so on. Um, and I just think representation is so important. You look at, I know um, when Hidden Figures came out, which is all, of course, about women of color doing science. It actually resulted in a 30% increase in African-American women doing maths and science at higher level. And so th the fact that the creative industry is still so sexist um, is an issue because the stories are really important. Stories are how we see ourselves. And then even after Hillary Clinton ran, even though she won the popular vote but wasn't president, there was a huge, it's actually one of the highest increases we have ever seen in women taking up political positions. And that's because even though um, she didn't win, uh, well, she did, but anyway, but even though she didn't win, we saw, oh, that person looks like me. Oh, I can do that? Because a big issue is just that we don't even think of women as leaders in creative industries. Um, you ask someone for a leader and they 90% of people tell you Mark Zuckerberg or whatever, even though we're seeing that men, male leaders aren't inherently better, not that they're inherently worse, but you look at COVID. Like uh, the leaders in, who, who are all the best countries? Taiwan, New Zealand, all run by women. And you like, I don't know. It's just like, why can't we see? And then the worst country, <laughs> America, Donald Trump, uh, Brazil. Um, so I just think, yeah, we just, it's kind of a chicken and egg problem. If there was more representation, more women allowed into these spheres, then we would have more women doing these roles. But then uh, how do we get them there without that representation? So yeah, it is a challenge, but I think what you're doing right now, just talking about it, raising awareness, that's really important. Yeah, um, all very good examples as well. And thinking that I feel like we're in this kind of turning point where I think we are trying to shift and we're becoming more aware and it's good that we're having these conversations, like um, just finding that balance because of course, we need strong men leaders we need strong women leaders and yeah. role models and they both together actually bring something really amazing different and yeah unique. so um, yeah this isn't like i want gender equality for men too for instance my mentor um he decided to mentor me because he saw something in me and without him i wouldn't have done it anywhere near as well like men have been so pivotal in my career same with some of my early first careers were all driven. I think I was the only woman in a lot of my early organizations and the men saw something in me and they, they nurtured me. Um, so that is not at all, but I want men to feel they have the choice to stay at home without feeling devalued, without feeling less of a man. Like, yeah. Building on from that, do we have any organizations or women leaders in our minds that we perhaps look up to and we can learn from and, you know, it's funny, actually, Grace, when you were speaking, and I was thinking that Jacinda Arden is such a huge influence to me. I just absolutely love her. And that doesn't mean I kind of, you know, align myself with all her policies. I'm not claiming to know all of her policies. But to me, it's she's managed to take these kind of altruistic 
qualities like empathy, like compassion, like well-being and show that they're actually leadership qualities. And I think that sometimes has been a little bit of there's been a throwback to how things used to be when you see leadership qualities of being very active and proactive um, and progressive. And those kinds of qualities has been quite passive and subjective or submissive. And like, absolutely not. They're, they're vitally important to leadership. And it just really shows how important it is to, I mean, if you want to lead people, if you want to kind of really make a difference, then surely you need to understand people. You need to have the ability to see through somebody else's lens other than your own. And if you can't do that, then you're representing a very small minority of one, really. <laughs> and I just think, you know, her whole approach, so it's not so much, although her, her, policy, her policies are, you know, I would say far and away, more aligned with my own <laughs> than perhaps we have in the UK. Um, it's, it's about the way she goes about things for me. It's the way she goes about things and the change that she's managed to affect by doing things on that incremental, you know, firm leadership, but absolutely compassionate and, you know, well-being and mental health is such a focus there that it, we haven't caught up with the, yeah, that's something else I'm really an advocate for, particularly around mental health just really raising awareness and removing stigma around those kinds of topics. So, and also she's not that much older than me and that's where the imposter syndrome comes back because in my brain I still feel about 18 years old and I'm like, I'm nearly the same age as Jacinda and she runs a country. Sometimes I can't make serious. Yeah, I love that. It's funny that you say that because for what I'm doing at the moment, I interview CEOs for books and actually the key theme that they all say is the importance of emotional intelligence to be a leader. They say it's the number one thing. And I'm like, oh, tell me about your business. You know, some of them run tech companies, some of them run um, travel agencies, some of them, whatever they do. And they say, oh, no, 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 managing your, your emotional intelligence, managing how you relate to people, managing yourself and your emotions and being in tune with that is more important and more difficult. And I'm like, whoa. Um, so yeah, I love that you yeah, said that. I love also that uh, New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda took a 20% pay cut. Getting an example, I just thought, you know, leadership, John Maxwell talks about uh, leadership. He's a, a business coach and an author. And he says, leadership is the answer and leadership is a problem. And I thought it's so on point. Yeah, and I think, again, it, 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 it comes... It, you know, and that's not to have a go at our government, you know, whether I align with them or I don't. But I think the what I saw particularly, um, and so for the record, I have family who live in New Zealand, close families is why I feel quite close to this topic. There was just, like you said, there was absolute certainty coming from her at all times about her course of action. Now, I have no idea what she would have felt internally, but what she pervaded was, I trust myself I trust my own judgment and I'm doing this for the right reasons and this is what we're doing whereas particularly in the UK I think there was a sense of and has been a sense of things chopping and changing chopping and changing um, and that's you know partly because as the science discovered more as the science kind of informed things more but you know there have been times that there has been an amount of public confusion and perhaps a lack of clarity from from the decisions made um, so I just, yeah, I think that confidence that came from that quiet confidence that was not bullying, that was not shouting, it was just consistent. And that's, you know, that's so inspiring, I think, in, in any leader. 
And you know, an interesting example that I find intriguing to watch, it's not to do with women in the creative industries, but from watching sport with my partner, I have been really intrigued to watch. From a learning perspective about leadership and about um, having that confidence and clarity in what you're doing and your skill, but actually teamwork, which often it won't, it's not just down to one person, it will be down to a team of people. And like you said today earlier about the networking and the authenticity, Grace, that you mentioned and uh, emotional intelligence. There's so much that goes in, I think, from what I've gathered in this conversation and outside of making that successful women leader, forward thinking industry organisation. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. And I think one thing that's really interesting, um, particularly in some of the creative industries and, and how this all kind of fits together, is that looking at what is best for the group, where we have traditionally been pitted against each other in competition, and therefore you look at showcasing your best skills, your best abilities, how do I shine above the crowd? Um, and it's certainly true in the theatre industry and it's true in the music industry that if one person is doing their own thing, the whole product is going to be horrific <laughs> and then you will all look bad um, and it will not go well. And the whole thing is that you have to work as a cohesive entity. You all are an integral cog in that bigger wheel. And if you're all playing to your own strengths, if you're all contributing to what is best for everyone, you will all look great. It will elevate all of you. So, yeah, I think there's probably an element of that in there as well. I'm like, yes, I love this. <laughs> yeah. Have you got a favourite quote at the moment that inspires you to spur you on? So I was thinking about this and I don't have something super inspirational. Um, it's actually something I read from Benny Brown. I really love her books. Um, they tell you how to be vulnerable, how to deal with shame. And they've just kind of changed my life. But something that she said is, you are enough and I think that's great you know in this world that's so pushing you to achieve more and be more and I think that's something we've touched on and how there's this scarcity of resources and the scarcity of it's it's so um kind of audacious and brave to just say actually I'm enough you know maybe I'm not a supermodel maybe I've got a little pop belly maybe I am gonna win an Oscar but I am just by being kind of an intelligent, kind human being who is doing their best to navigate the complexity of the world, you, you know what, you are enough. And it just really helps me a lot. I, I wish I had something kind of beautiful and super wise, but that's just what I've been saying to myself a lot. <laughs> I think that is beautiful and wise. And actually, my, mine's funnily enough, mine's a of a similar ilk, but um, mine is a, a very renowned quote from the, the real literary body that is social media. Um, and I literally <laughs> saw it on Instagram and shared it. And I was like, this, is, this has touched me really, really to my core. And it's simply, actually, I can. That's oh. it. Because how many times do we tell ourselves, we can't, we shouldn't, this is where I should be, this is what I should be doing, or should be achieving and just forget all of that whatever it is that you want to be to achieve to get to you can yeah you can perfect perfect way to finish up uh just really quickly uh where can our audience find you and connect with you next oh sure so my website is fallinggracefully.com or find me grace o'donnell on linkedin or facebook or anywhere yeah 
Uh, my website is breakthatmold.com. And again, you can find me uh, on LinkedIn, uh, Tracy Rymel, one M, two L's, unlike the makeup brand, uh, or on Instagram as well. Well, thanks, friends, for listening to today's episode. If you would like to access exclusive content on the podcast, if you would like discounts and freebies from Frame Your World, and if you love short stories and books as much as we do, then why not subscribe to our Patreon for as little as £2 a month? You will get exclusive access, including... uh, freebies and much more on the Patreon account. If you're interested in checking out Patreon, I've popped a link in the description below and I would just like to say I hope you have the best week. Thank you again. Until next time.